I do want to remind us about our annual theme this year, Committed, that we are reminding ourselves as often as possible that in response to the God who committed all to our salvation, we commit all to Him, to His glory, to His cause, and to His people. That that's what it is to have faith. When the Bible talks about faith, the word that the New Testament uses, pistis, it's talking about commitment. It's talking about loyalty. It's talking about allegiance. And so when we say that we are committed to God, we're not just saying, I'm just such a good person. I want to commit myself to God. We're saying that our commitment is a response to his commitment to us. That God was so committed to sinful humanity that he gave his only begotten son so that we could live with him Forever, so that he could dwell with us. And because of his commitment to us, we commit all in response to him and to his glory and to his cause and to his people. We talked about in January, you remember our January series, we talked about discipleship and that we're committed to following Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit this morning about what a disciple is and what that means. And then last month we talked about that we, as God's people, need to be committed to one another. That we need to have all things in common. Good. Yeah, you were here. Okay, good. Uh, so, so we need to have all things in common. We need to take care of each other. But that it's not really us taking care of each other, is it? It's really Jesus taking care of us through each other. And that it's his gifts that are being poured out to us. And they're going through us. And they are supplying the needs of our brothers and sisters. But all of this comes back to this committed idea. And this month, we're starting a brand new series, and it's called Share. And we're talking about being committed to sharing the good news with others. And I know some of you are thinking, oh no, this sounds like evangelism. I hate these kind of sermons, right? So, uh, but, but listen, I know, I know it's hard sometimes, and we get a little bit uncomfortable when we talk about the importance of sharing our faith with others. We, we would much rather just say that, that Christianity, Christianity should just be demonstrated, but when we start talking about how it needs to be articulated, how it needs to be told, how it needs to be taught, how it needs to be shared, we get a little bit uncomfortable, don't we? And we think, you know, I don't, I don't know enough to teach somebody else, maybe. We, we say, you know, I, I, I don't know enough to share my faith with other people. Or maybe I, I don't want people to think I'm a hypocrite. After all, I don't have everything figured out. I don't know everything. And I still have lots of sin in my life. And I still struggle with things. And who am I to tell someone else how to live their life when I don't have everything figured out yet? And so very often, we sit on this truth that we have. And we don't share it with other people. And meanwhile, there are all kinds of things going on in the world. Things that are horrible. We turn on the news, and I don't know about you, but I've never heard anybody say after they got done watching the news, wow, I just feel so good after hearing all the good stuff going on in the world. Do you say that after you watch the news? I don't say that after I watch the news. I'm discouraged sometimes after I watch the news. And see the things that are happening in the world. And every time there's breaking news or some big thing that's happened in our country or somewhere in the world, it's usually not a positive thing. 
And because we've kind of set aside this good news of Jesus, this gospel story, and we've set it aside and we've decided we're really not going to share that with other people, then we have to turn to other things to try to fix the problems in our world. And we think that maybe if we just get the right politicians in office or maybe if we just get the right legislation passed, maybe then these problems could be solved. And we think that the best solution to the world's problems are politicians and legislation. How's that working for us? Whichever letter is behind their name, how's that working for us? Whatever bills are passed, how's that working out? Now, I'm not saying that politicians and legislation aren't important. But church, listen, do we really believe that we have the good news? The world has enough bad news. Do we really believe that we have the story, the truth, that can bring hope to the hopeless that can bring joy to the angry, that can bring healing to the broken, that can bring life to those who are dead. Do we believe that? Do we believe that the truth of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus Christ came, that God came in flesh, demonstrated his love for us, died in selflessness, in sacrificial love for us that his people might be sprinkled with his blood and made holy and forgiven of all of our sins so that in his resurrection we too might live forever? Do we believe that? Do we believe that our lives are better for having heard the gospel? Isn't your life better for having heard the gospel? Aren't you a better spouse for having heard the gospel? Aren't you a better parent for having heard the gospel? Aren't you a better neighbor for having heard the gospel? Don't you speak better and think better and live better for having heard the gospel? Perfect? No, of course not. But isn't your life better for having heard the story of Jesus and what he's done? Isn't your life better for having been brought under the kingship of Jesus? Isn't it better? And... Don't you believe that our neighbors and our community and our city and our state and our country and our world would be better if more people were brought under the kingship of Jesus? Don't we believe that the world would be a better place, that people would be kinder and more loving, and that a lot of the things that have happened would stop happening if more people hear the good news of Jesus and are brought under his kingship? Don't we believe that? And and we live in a day and time where things are so shareable, aren't they? We can share all kinds of stuff. Some of y'all are going to go to lunch and take a picture of it and share it with the world, right? And say, this is what I'm having for lunch. And we share pictures and videos of cats, you know? I mean, we share all kinds of stuff. And this is the news that can change the world. This is the news that has changed you. This is the news that could change your family. This is the news that could change your neighborhood. This is the news that can change our city. Do we care enough to share it, to teach, to implore, to proclaim? That's what we're going to talk about this month. But listen, not to make us feel guilty, okay? Not to say you've been such a bad group of people or you're a bad Christian or you haven't really shared the gospel like you're supposed to because none of us have, have we? 
We've all been uncomfortable and we haven't said what needs to be said and we haven't shared what needs to be shared. It's just like last month when we talked about sharing what we have with each other and taking care of each other. It's not to make you feel guilty or to beat you up. We're a forgiven people, praise God. It's to invite you into this. It's to invite you to participate. Nobody expects you to convert the world. Nobody expects you to do it on your own. But God is changing the world through the gospel, and he invites you to participate. That's good, isn't it? You're invited into the fight. You're invited into the battle. You're invited to join Jesus against the forces of darkness in the world by sharing the gospel with someone. But just telling people who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 28 in just a minute. But, but before that, let, let's think about the gospel account of Matthew. And I, I love the, the communion focus that we did today and just reading what Jesus did. And, and Matthew's gospel especially focuses on his kingship. Jesus comes and says, heaven's kingdom is at hand. God's kingdom is at hand. And it becomes very obvious very quickly that Jesus is God's anointed king, the Messiah, the Christ. That that this is the one who's going to bring freedom and redemption. This is the one who's going to defeat the enemies of God. And all of the apostles that think Jesus is the Messiah probably think That at some point he's going to pick up a sword and some point he's going to get on a horse and at some point he's going to crush his enemies. And Jesus does defeat his enemies. And Jesus does bring freedom. And Jesus does bring peace. But he does it through the giving of his own life. And we see in Matthew's gospel account that when Jesus dies on the cross, when he stretches out his arms and breathes his last how the earth shakes and how rocks split apart and how the curtain in the temple is torn in two. This ain't a shower curtain. This isn't a thin little curtain. This is a thick curtain. And it says everything from this point forward is different. Even the soldier, the Roman soldier standing at the foot of the cross says, surely this was the Son of God. Everything changes. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1. Now, After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. You see, again, the earth shakes and the stone rolls back. Everything is different. You see, Jesus' resurrection is unlike anything that had ever happened or has happened since. You say, well, that's not true, Wes. I mean, weren't there other people resurrected in the Bible? Weren't there people like Lazarus who came to life again? Uh, my, my boy, Malachi, nine years old. I love talking theology with a nine-year-old. It's good stuff, man, I'll tell you. And, and we were talking about this the other day, and we were talking about the difference between Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection of other people. Because when Lazarus was raised to life, 
He was raised with the same kind of mortal, perishable body that he had before. And Lazarus would die again. But you see, Jesus, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, is the first fruits of the the new resurrection, the true resurrection. He was raised with an immortal, imperishable body. The new creation had begun. The resurrection had begun with Jesus' resurrection. And what was true of him would be true of all of his people when he returns. Isn't that good news? That death was coming undone? That the curse of sin and death was being broken? That that's the news that was coming true? That's the news that these women, as they stood at the empty tomb, were beholding and that was about to be announced to the whole world? Verse 7, he tells them, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, He's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 32. Jesus had already told his apostles that I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised and then I'm going to meet you in Galilee. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus himself met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, we could look at the different gospel accounts and kind of put all the pieces together and see when Jesus appeared to the disciples, but Matthew's gospel account's kind of written a little bit different, and this this is that moment where they're traveling up to Galilee. Now, Galilee is like a two- or three-day journey We don't know what they've seen already and what they're thinking as they go. But as they go to rendezvous with Jesus in Galilee, way up north, then they see him. Look at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now that's who we're talking about, right? The 11 disciples. 11 because Judas isn't there, right? He betrayed Jesus and then he took his own life. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. It's interesting, isn't it? Here you have the 11 apostles, the 11 disciples, the the ones who, who would pretty soon not only be convinced that Jesus was who he said he was and had done what he said he had done and what they had seen with their own eyes, but they would go and tell it to the whole world. These are the men on whose testimony all of our faith rests, right? But right here in this moment, as they behold the resurrected Jesus, and as they bow down and they they prostrate themselves on the ground in front of Jesus, some of them doubted. They, They had some skepticism. They had some doubts. They wondered, could this really be true? Are my eyes deceiving me? Is this really what's going on? And you know, to me, that's kind of reassuring, isn't it? that there's some room for some doubts, that that what we're asking the world to believe, what it is that we believe, what it is that the gospel is based on, (laughs) that's a big deal, isn't it? And if somebody says, you know, I'm just not quite convinced yet, I'm just not quite sure yet, that's okay, you're in the same boat as the apostles were initially. Now, it wouldn't take long and they would be fully convinced because there was no denying the truth that this really was Jesus. But don't be surprised. 
Why is it that we are so surprised that people have doubts? Even the apostles had doubts. But then they were convinced by the evidence. They were convinced by what is true. Faith isn't blind faith. We're not just asking somebody to just believe and just forget their skepticism or their doubts. We're asking them to investigate. Look and see, touch and hear that this Jesus really is the Son of God, that this Jesus really was raised from the dead. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority. How much? Wait, sorry, I asked. Uh, just say maybe you didn't hear. How much authority? All authority. Okay, good. I just want to make sure. Okay, Jesus came to them and said, all authority. That's, that's, what, that's what Matthew's gospel account is about, isn't it? It's about kingship. It's about kingdom. It's about authority. And Jesus says, now that I have given my life for my people, and now that I have been vindicated and I've been raised from the dead, all authority in heaven and on earth. We need to realize that, don't we, church? That, That Jesus doesn't just have authority in heaven, but Jesus has authority on earth. That Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. It has been given to me, Jesus says. Now, I wonder, what would, what would Caesar say if he heard such a claim? Hey? What if, what if Caesar had been standing there and he hears this one say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the true emperor. I am the true king of kings and Lord of Lords, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the king. My kingdom is being set up. And now, because of that, he says, verse 19, go therefore, therefore, based on what? Based on the fact that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, go and do what? Make disciples of all nations. Now, there's several verbs in this verse. I'm going to get nerdy for just a second. But there's several verbs in this verse. But the one imperative, the, the, the strong verb here, the strong command is to make disciples. That's your mission, apostles. That's your mission, disciples. Make disciples of all nations. Why? Well, because I'm the king of all nations. I'm the king of all kingdoms. I'm the king of all tribes. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so now I'm making you my ambassadors to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Here's my paraphrase of what Jesus is saying in verses 19 and 20. Because God has made me, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? So because God has made me king of heaven and earth, your mission is to make disciples. Now, what's a disciple? A disciple is a student, a learner, but, but it's also somebody who is devoted. I was, I was a student in a lot of classrooms, right? I, I had a lot of teachers, but I wasn't any of their disciples. I didn't attach myself to them. I didn't devote my life to them. A disciple is someone who says, I'm yours. 
I want to be your apprentice. I want to go with you where you go. I want to stay with you where you stay. I want to learn to be just like you. And so Jesus says, because God has made me king of heaven and earth, now I'm sending you into the world to make devoted pupils, devoted students of all nations by doing three things. And here are the participles that he uses in the verse. Going, one. Two, baptizing. And three, teaching all that I have commanded you. This is how you make disciples, is you go and you baptize and you teach. You teach them to do everything that I have commanded you to do. Now, do you see how there is a cycle to this? How these 11 men have been Disciples, but now Jesus says, as my disciples, now I'm making disciples, disciple makers. Now I'm making the students, the teachers. Now that you've learned, go teach. Now that you've been made disciples, go make disciples of other people. And do you see how you and I are the beneficiaries of that cycle? How those apostles went and they, they went. They goad, they, they went into the world and they made disciples by doing what? By baptizing and by teaching. And then those people went and they baptized and they taught. And then those people went and they baptized and they taught. And those people went and baptized and they taught. And those people went and baptized and were taught. For 2,000 years, this cycle has been going on. And you and I are the beneficiaries of that, aren't we? Somebody came. And somebody baptized. And somebody taught. Perfect people? Were you taught by perfect people? I, I said in first service that I was taught the gospel by my parents. And I said I wasn't going to say this at second service because they were going to be at second service. But um, I said, but my parents weren't perfect people. They're good folks, but they're not perfect people. Uh, none of us were taught by perfect people, were we? But people who became disciples and then made disciples. People who learned and then shared. People who learned and then taught. People who were the student and then became the teacher. People who went and people who baptized. And people who kept teaching. This is what Jesus says to do. This is how Jesus says to live. And that gospel is changing people's lives. It's changed your life, hasn't it? It's changed your family's life, hasn't it? It's changed the world. And this is what disciples do. When disciples become disciples, then eventually they go and they help make disciples. Once they've learned, then they help go and teach. And again, you don't have to go all by yourself. He didn't say this to one individual. He said this to a group of people. And then that group grew. And that group grew. And that group grew. And then together, they all used their individual talents and abilities and experiences to go and make Disciples make devoted pupils who went to the world and baptized and taught and then baptized and taught and baptized and taught. And now you and I know the gospel because someone did this, because someone participated in the making of disciples. And now you are a student because someone else became a teacher. And now I believe that Jesus asked all of his disciples to participate in this cycle. And here's where I want us to land for the day. Learn with the intention of teaching. 
Do, do you really believe the good news? Do you really believe that Jesus shed his blood so that you could be forgiven of everything that you've ever done wrong? That you are holy because the blood of Jesus has touched you. That you are purified and set apart. Do you believe that his resurrection means that death holds nothing on you? Do you believe that sins and death's curse has been broken for you? If you don't believe that, that's okay. Let's talk about it. There's room for doubt and there's room for questions. There's room for skepticism and let's talk about it. But if you do believe that, if you do believe the good news that the ground shook when he died and the ground shook again when he was raised from the dead, if you believe that the new creation has begun, if you believe that sins are being forgiven, if you believe that you'll live forever with him, why not participate in sharing that good news with others? And when you learn something, we're still learning things, aren't we? That's what disciples do. They learn. They're learners. They're students. They're pupils. You're still learning, right? When you learn something new, teach it to somebody else. You go to life group and you learn something new. You said, I never thought about that before. Share it with your friends. Share it with your neighbors. Share it with your family. Tweet it or Facebook it or Instagram it or Snapchat it. I don't know if you can do that or not, but you know, whatever. So share it with somebody else. You're reading the Bible and you read something you, you've never read before and it connects with you in a way you've never looked at it before. When you learn something, learn with the intention of teaching. Don't let the cycle stop with you. Participate in making disciples, making disciples of your children and making disciples of your neighbors and making disciples of this city and making disciples in this country and making disciples in the world. McDermott Road, we're participating in that. And the question is, are you as an individual participating in that? Are you learning just to learn? Are you learning just to sit on something new and have something new in your mind and in your heart? Or are you learning with the intention of taking it to somebody else and helping somebody else see what you see and know what you know and have the freedom and the forgiveness and the love that you've experienced? Learn with the intention of sharing Learn with the intention of teaching. But maybe there's somebody here this morning, and I'm sure there is, who hasn't yet put Jesus on in baptism. Jesus says, this is the way you make disciples. You go, and you baptize, and you teach. So in order to become a disciple, you've got to hear, and you've got to be baptized. Right? I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus says, this is how you make disciples. You baptize them, and then they go on learning, and you keep on teaching them but maybe you haven't participated in that yet. Maybe you've not connected yourself with Christ, been united with him in baptism. If not, I'd encourage you to take that step. Or maybe you still have doubts and you still have questions. You're in good company. The apostles had questions and doubts in the beginning too. Let's talk about it. Let's study about it. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. We are in this together. There's a room in the back. Our shepherds are going to pray with anyone who needs prayers after services. But this invitation is yours. And we would like nothing more in the world to pray with you and encourage you and help you in any way we can. So now as we stand, this, stand and sing this song, come forward if we can help you.